Good morning, my name is Jeff. It's my privilege to look with you at this Bible passage from Luke chapter 23, verses 26 to 49. And I encourage you to have your Bible open. We're going to read through this passage, think about what it means and what it means for us as God's people. Let's ask him to help us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, do please help us now to understand your word and to just grasp something of the enormous significance of the cross of Christ for us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm sure you've heard the word uh, crux um, in the saying, this is the crux of the matter, something like that. It's, it's a, not that common expression anymore, but you, you've heard the expression, I'm sure. It means this is the, uh, the crux of the matter is the kind of the, the nub of the matter, the heart of the matter, the center of the matter. Why do we use that expression? Well, it comes from uh, the Latin word crux is the Latin word for cross. And it comes from the cross of Jesus, because Christians have historically understood the cross of Jesus to be the nub, the heart, the very centre of our of our faith. And so the word crux has come to mean the central or the most important thing. But when you think about it, that is a strange thing to have as the centre of your religion, isn't it? Uh, the cross was an instrument of torture or execution, People were nailed to crosses to die in agony. And, and plenty of people will criticise the message of the cross. Uh, the Oxford philosopher Alfred Ayer, he says, the idea of Jesus dying on the cross for our sins is intellectually contemptible and morally outrageous. Intellectual, intellectually contemptible and morally outrageous. Uh, the French philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche, he wasn't too keen on the cross either. He said, if there's one thing that we've learned from evolution, the strong need to survive for the good of the species. The species is going to improve, if it's going to evolve, the strong need to push out the weak. He said, the message of the cross, the religion of the cross, it thwarts the law of evolution because it takes the side of the weak. He says it hinders the good of humanity. It will make us evolve in the wrong direction. It'll make us weaker. Uh, critics of Christianity say that the cross is not the crux. They say it's a crutch. Something healthy people should throw away. And so under the pressure, many churches have pushed the cross out of the center. Some churches focus on social action. They say Christianity is all about helping the poor. It's all about fighting for justice or reconciliation. That's the centre, they say. Uh, my wife, Carmelina, was speaking up at a church in Cairns earlier this year. And the minister there is a, a Bible-believing Christian, but his bishop isn't. He's in an Anglican church there. And one day the bishop took the minister aside and he said, I hear you keep on teaching about sin and the cross and Jesus you have to stop. You have to stop. The, 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 the Christian message that the world needs now is reconciliation between white people and Aborigines. It's about the fight against climate change. It's not about middle-aged white men pushing their ideas of Jesus and sin and the cross to exploit people. Now, some churches focus on social action. Other churches focus on morality. I think this was the history of the Presbyterian Church, particularly last year. Christianity was all about being good, about being a nice citizen, be nice to your family, be respectable, be kind, be upright, be a Freemason and a Rotarian and a Christian. They say that is the centre of Christianity, 
morality. Other churches, of course, focus on miracles. They say Christianity is all about healing or speaking in strange languages or something like that. Other churches will focus on prosperity and positive thinking. They say being a Christian, it's a ticket to being healthy and wealthy and wise. There are, there are lots of ways that churches shift focus, but the upshot ends up being the same. The cross is pushed out of the center. The cross isn't the crux anymore. Well, in chapter 23 of his biography, Luke tells us the story of the cross of Jesus. And he does it in a fascinating way. He gives us a series of little pictures, little little snippets, little details of what happened. On the face of it, some of them seem like strange details. They don't seem like important details, but Luke has put them all together for a reason. They're all significant, and together what he's doing is forming a kind of a montage of the cross. You know what a montage is? Um, you, see, you see lots of cat ones on the internet and so on. You, know, you see, see little pictures of cats, okay? And together, if you look at all the little pictures, they form a big picture of a cat, okay? <laughs> uh, that's, that, 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 that's a montage, all right? So w what Luke is doing is giving us lots of little snippets, little pictures of Jesus to give us an overall picture an impression of what the cross is all about. So what I want us to do is just work our way through scene after scene, picture after picture, and just try to let it wash over you and try to get this big picture, this big impression of what the cross is all about. So scene number one. Scene number one, Jesus is too badly injured to carry his own cross. So the soldiers conscript a passerby, a man called Simon. And so Simon has to pick up his cross and follow Jesus. That ring any bells for you? Pick up your cross and follow Jesus. That's what Jesus has been telling people to do, isn't it? Over and over and over again. If you want to be my disciple, if you want to save your life, if you want to save yourself, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. Luke's giving us a big hint here as we start this story of the cross. This is the path that Jesus has called his disciples to follow, but the sad fact is the only one who can do it is a stranger who's conscripted to do it. No disciple managed to pick up their cross and follow Jesus. Luke chapter 23 and verse 26. Have a look with me. Luke chapter 23, starting at verse 26. As the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. Some people, including some women from Jerusalem, they follow Jesus, they're weeping and they're mourning, but Jesus speaks to them and he says, he says don't weep for me, weep for yourselves, because terrible judgment is coming onto Jerusalem. Now, Jesus uses a proverb. I don't know how you went with uh, this proverb in Bible study. We had a bit of trouble with it. Um, he, he compares himself to a green tree, and he compares Jerusalem to a dead, dry tree. And he uses a proverb. He says, if you think a green tree is going to catch fire, okay, wait till you see what happens with dry twigs. Okay, That's going to really burn. Now, Jesus means, if bad things are happening to me, imagine what it's going to be like for Jerusalem. Verse 27. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, 
Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Jesus has already talked about this back in chapter 21. He said said that he was going to die, but he said that he would also rise from the dead, and as the Son of Man, he would come into the presence of God. And then in accordance with the Old Testament, Daniel chapter 7, he'll receive all authority. Psalm 110, all his enemies will be made his footstool. And so back in chapter 21, Jesus said, the coming of the Son of Man, it will be the sign that Jerusalem and the temple will be destroyed In fact, it all happened just as Jesus said. It was one of the most terrible things to happen in Jewish history. In AD 70, the Romans besieged Jerusalem. They slaughtered more than one million Jews. They took another 100,000 into captivity and they utterly destroyed the temple. So why has Luke decided to tell us this story? I think the point is this. Jesus' death might look like his defeat might look like we should be feeling sorry for Jesus. But in fact, this is the beginning of the coming of the Son of Man, and this is the seal on the defeat of anyone who opposes Jesus. This is the seal on the defeat of Jerusalem. This is the seal on the defeat of anyone who will not bow the knee to King Jesus. As we continue, Jesus had led to the cross. He's crucified. Luke gives us no detail about the crucifixion itself. Nothing about nails, nothing about anything. What he does, he tells us another strange detail. He goes on and on about how he's crucified between two criminals. Verse 32. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Why that detail? Why is Luke so concerned to to, to give us Jesus' position between the criminals? It goes back to chapter 22. Doesn't he remember back in chapter 22 when Jesus said, I must be numbered with the transgressors. This must happen to fulfill scripture. Jesus was referring, you might remember, to the famous Isaiah chapter 53, where the servant of the Lord dies for the sins of God's people so they can be forgiven. Uh, We all like sheep have gone astray, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Why is Luke telling us about Jesus' position numbered among the transgressors? Well, to remind us that Jesus is dying in the place of his people. I wonder if anybody remembers this. Jesus' death can, anybody remember? Save you because it's substitutionary. Yes, Isaiah 53 to bring us, Jesus dies in our place to bring us forgiveness and peace with God. The next picture says more of the same. Jesus offers forgiveness. Verse 34, Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Next, Luke gives us another strange detail. Uh, The soldiers divided up his clothes and gambled for them. But again, it's a significant reference. Uh, It comes from a psalm, a psalm of King David. Psalm 22, Psalm 22, worth a read. 
Um, the, the psalm starts off as King David, and he starts off by saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That, that's where the psalm starts. But it ends with everyone having to bow the knee to King David. And, and in the psalm, David says, this is Psalm 22, verse 18, They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. Why is Luke telling us this? To remind us that Jesus is the king. Like David in Psalm 22, Jesus is suffering on his way to the throne. He might look weak and forsaken now, but every knee will bow to this king. Still in verse 34, here's the reference. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Next, Luke tells us a series of things that people say about Jesus while he's on the cross. People tease him. They say, if you really are the king, you should save yourself and come down from the cross. Uh, the Romans even put a joke sign above Jesus. He is the king of the Jews. Look how pathetic he is. But Luke notes one other thing. And again, it might seem like another strange detail. The soldiers offer Jesus wine vinegar. It's another psalm. Another psalm by King David, where once again David is talking about how, he's, how he suffered on his way to his throne. He said, they gave me vinegar, thank you, they gave me vinegar for my thirst. It's another clue. All these people are mocking Jesus. They think the idea that he's the king is ridiculous. And ironically, all along the scriptures are being fulfilled. This is exactly how God said it would be. This is the king. He is suffering on his way to the throne and the whole reason he's not saving himself is so that he can save you and me. Verse 35. The people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he's God's Messiah, God's king, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. If you hear Psalm 69 there, it's dripping with irony. As they fulfill the scriptures, they say he's not the king. And then there was a written notice above in verse 38 which read, this is the king of the Jews. Is it? They don't think so, but yes, it is. Uh, next, Luke describes this beautiful, thrilling exchange between Jesus and the criminals on either side of him. Uh, one of them is mocking Jesus, but the other one realizes Jesus is innocent. More than that, he realizes Jesus is the king, and he asks Jesus to remember him when he comes into his kingdom. Verse 39. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us! But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We're, being, we're punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And have a look at Jesus' answer. He's willing to do what the criminal has asked him. He's willing to bring the criminal into paradise. Sorry if your Bible study got distracted by the whole today you'll be with me in paradise. I think paradise is it's the place in Sheol where God's people wait for his kingdom until it's eternally established. Waited until his kingdom will be eternally established. Verse 43. Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. 
hours pass by, it's around midday, God brings darkness onto the land to, to symbolize his this picture of kind of judgment falling onto Jesus, isn't it? Now verse 44. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon that the sun stopped shining. God also tears the curtain in the Jerusalem temple to, to show that the temple is finished. Jesus is now the way into the presence of God, still in verse 45. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Getting more of a sense of this montage, picture after picture. Jesus is, is, is suffering under the judgment of God to bring God's people into his presence. Jesus commits himself to God, verse 46, and he dies, verse 46. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. Luke gives us two descriptions of responses to the death of Jesus. Jesus. The centurion in charge declares that he was innocent and the people watching mourn. And then as we finish the scene, notice again where the disciples are. Where are they? Let's have a look at verse 47. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. And all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place. They beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Um, it's good they were there. It's good they saw it so they can report it to us and we can find out in Luke's gospel. That's a bit of a sad way to finish, isn't it? Remember we started with Simon being forced to carry the cross and follow Jesus? Well, here are the ones who ought to be carrying the cross and following Jesus and dying with him. And where are they? Standing at a safe distance, watching. Jesus goes to the cross alone. If anyone can remember, his death can save you because it is... Remember? For the youth, the unique, the unique. He's the only one. He's the only one who has died for our sins. He alone can offer us forgiveness and eternal life. All right. Can you see what's here in this section of Luke? Can you see the kind of the way we get this montage, snippet after snippet, scene after scene, story after story. Some of them seem strange, but in the light of the Old Testament, they're just giving us clues, ideas. So Simon carries the cross and follows Jesus. Jesus says Jerusalem will be destroyed. He's, he's numbered with the transgressors, crucified between two criminals. On the cross, he's mocked. They say he can't be king, but they divide up his clothes and they give him vinegar, just like happened to David. On the cross, Jesus offers forgiveness tells the criminal he'll have a place in paradise. Darkness comes, the temple curtain is torn, the centurion declares Jesus is innocent, the disciples mourn from a safe distance, snippet after snippet, scene after scene, picture after picture, some might seem strange, but it's all creating this montage. You're getting the sense of the death of Jesus and its significance? This is your key. on his way to an eternal throne, bearing the judgment of God for your sin 
so that the way can be opened up for you to be forgiven and with God forever. So that you won't have to be defeated and destroyed and made a footstool for his feet. Friends, if there's one thing that is clear from Luke's montage, it is this, and this is the application of the passage to ourselves, the one thing clear from Luke's montage is this, the cross is vital. It is right at the centre of our faith. You will either be with Jesus in the new heaven and new earth, or you'll be defeated and destroyed. And the cross is what makes the difference. Way more important than social action or being good or miracles of prosperity. This cross is the key to where you will spend forever. It's right at the centre of our hope, our future, our salvation. The cross is the crux. So friends, we've got to keep it there, don't we? It's where it's got to stay. Just after the First World War, there was a meeting in England between two university Christian groups. There was a group from Cambridge called CICCU. That sounds like KICKU, doesn't it? CICCU. I'm not sure what it stands for. I quite like the acronym KICKU. Um, it's the group that's now become IFES or AFES in Australia, the Australian Fellowship of Evangelical Students. It's the group um, that you'll hear about if you go to launch and uh, the, the camp that Joel was telling you about. So there was this meeting between KICKU and a group called the Student Christian Mission or SCM. The SCM they wanted KICU to join their group, to strengthen both of the groups, pool resources, and so on. But let me, let me read from an account of what happened. It's by a man from KICU, a man called Norman Grubb. He says this. Oh, we've got it. Excellent. After an hour's talk, I asked the SCM representative point blank, does the SCM put the atoning blood of Jesus Christ central? He hesitated and then said, well... We acknowledge it, but not necessarily central. Dan, Dick and I then said that this settled the matter for us in the Kikyu. We could never join something that did not maintain the atoning blood of Jesus as its centre. And we parted company. Kikyu refused to be part of a group which left the cross out of the centre. And that has made an incredible impact on us here today. Because how many people here today have been helped by campus Bible study or Evangelical Union or Christian Union at Macquarie University? How many people here had their faith developed and shaped by the Australian Fellowship of Evangelical Students and Christian groups on campus? Why is AFES the way it is? Because of tough decisions like this to keep the cross at the centre. That's part of why all uni students should make being a part of an AFES Christian group uh, at, at university, a massive priority, way more important than whatever degree they do. Yeah, it's why all Year 12 should be picked up and brought to launch. Um, pay for them, parents or friends. I was just talking to a parent the other day, a good friend of mine, whose son was really going astray in the la- in sort of year, year 11, year 12, lost the plot completely, um, in his room studying and playing with the computer the whole time. Um, but he got invited to come to launch, Went to launch, total change in direction. Now one of the key leaders at uh, Christian Unit at Macquarie University. Such an important moment. Anyway, back to the point. Kikyu refused to be part of a group which left the cross out of the centre, and it's why it's had such an impact for Jesus now. Similar thing happened back in 1977. 
uh, the Presbyterian Church was asked to join up with other denominations to form the Uniting Church. But again, for some Presbyterian ministers, the problem was this. The Uniting Church just was not clear enough that the cross of Jesus has to be at the centre. And so they stayed Presbyterian. It was a costly decision. Unpopular decision. Extremely unpopular decision at the time. But I think in the light of what we've seen today, we have to say it's the right decision, wouldn't you? The cross is the crux. You can't afford to sideline it in any way. Without the cross, we have nothing. Without the cross, Christianity is empty and meaningless. Without the cross, we're enemies of God, bound for an eternity of darkness. Friend, I hope it's the centre of your life. I hope you're relying on Jesus' death on the cross to get you into heaven, to offer you forgiveness. I hope you're not relying on yourself. And I hope that we as a church work hard to keep the cross central. We can't afford to let it slip out of the centre. We can't afford, even for good things like social justice or morality or whatever else, we, we, we can't. Even the smallest slip is dangerous. It's like making a kind of half-degree turn in a spaceship. You might think that's nothing, but you end up missing the moon altogether. Friends, the cross is the crux. It is here that our king pays the price for our sins so we can be forever with him in his kingdom. The very centre of who we are and what we do is Christ crucified. It's him we need to proclaim. It's him we need to live for. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that though he had equality with God, he did not consider that something to be grasped. He became a man, and as a man, died on the cross in our place for our sin. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the extraordinary cost that he paid for us, for the extraordinary love that he has shown to us, we acknowledge that there is nothing in and of us that could get us to heaven, but only this cross of Jesus. Thank you that the cross is not the end, but Jesus rose from the dead and the Son of Man came into your presence and he is now King of everything and everyone. We pray, Heavenly Father, we, we, we bow the knee to King Jesus. We say, Jesus, be our King, be our Saviour, and help us to live for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.